Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Hello and welcome into Fizz 5, here to break down, I think crazy would be an understatement in terms of what is going on. Weird, we- that's Weird, sure. another yeah. good word, in terms of what is going on in SU Athletics right now. Alongside Francesco Simone, I'm Liam Griffin. Fra- Francesco, is your brain okay from what's what, what, what everything's been going on right now? Oh, I think it's fine from that perspective, as other things maybe that haven't made it so okay. But no, Liam, you're right, it's been an... It's been an odd, I guess you could call it, seven, eight days uh, here in Syracuse. But you know what? That's what we're here for, I guess. Hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving and enjoyed some, enjoyed some good food. I know I did. But let's get back into focus. Let's talk about topic number one. Number one. For the first time since last March, one of SU's biggest programs is, going on, is undergoing a coaching change. A week ago, Dino Babers was fired in the wake of Syracuse's 31-22 loss to Georgia Tech on the road. Reports surfaced on Sunday morning that John Wildhack and Coach Babers met before the season, basically saying that if you don't go 7-5, and five, you're Dunsky. Lo and behold, that loss to the Yellow Jackets clinched a sixth loss for Francesco. My first, re- my first reaction was shock because I knew it was going to come at some point. I had no idea it was going to happen before the season ended. Yeah, it's it's certainly interesting, right, Liam? Because the the general consensus seems to be around this place, or seemed to be around this place, that you know it was a matter of time as to when Dino was going to be gone. I wasn't surprised that it happened, like you said. Was I a little bit surprised it was before the season ended? I guess, but if you think about it in a, in a different type of way, doing it when John Wildhag did it served two purposes. One, it gives you an extra week to find a coach, and you know December fourth is a week away now. And that's when the transfer portal opens. So you'd like to ideally have a coach by the right. time that happens. And also, I know Dino chose not to coach the final game against Wake, but knowing and having it out there that he was going to be gone before that last game takes away the awkward element of, oh, we just went 6-6. Six and six. We just made a bowl game, which hasn't happened in a decade. We just made a bowl game with the same head coach, something that hasn't happened in two decades at Syracuse. It gets rid of that weirdness of, okay, we just had what some would consider a successful season. Oh, by the way, Dino, you're gone. So doing it before the weight game gets rid of really those two headaches, and I think it was the right decision. Another friend of mine working for a separate outlet mentioned this to me as well. I think the timing of it is interesting considering it's right as a lot of the student media either goes to Hawaii or goes home for Thanksgiving break. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but the fact of the matter is that this firing, this change, it was a long time coming. As much as you like the guy, I mean, he he was always gracious with me, never gave me a bad answer when I asked him a question. But the writing's really been on the wall ever since 2019 when the Orange went down to College Park and got curb stomped by Maryland 63-20. to Since then, it's been the issues, lack of discipline, bad clock management, and inability to show up in the big games, Francesco. As much as you like the guy, the time was right. Well, and that's a key point of this, too. And everybody who took the podium yesterday after the weight game, whether it was Nunzio Campanelli, whether it was you know Garrett Schrader, Dan Valari, Marlo Wax, LaQuint Allen, all of them said, even John Wildhack said this a week ago, 
everybody has a tremendous amount of respect for Dino Babers as a man. Nobody's going to say a bad word about him because, you know, as everybody who's interacted with him, media, fans, players, everybody, not not a bad word to say, really. He's a genuinely nice guy, it seems like, um, which is great, right? That, that's terrific. Absolutely. However, this is a wins-based business, right? If you don't win yeah. enough games, you go 41-55 and 55 in almost eight seasons – you're not going to have a job for for very much longer. So you know you can like the guy, you can respect him for all you want, and that's all that's all great, right? Um, but if you don't win, you're not going to keep a job. So now sitting here on Monday the 27th, the question becomes: There were rumors about a wild hack presser sure. this morning. We have not confirmed them at the time of recording, but the question becomes: Who who steps in? I've I've, I've heard a lot of names, Francesco. I've heard Dan Mullen's name, former Florida head coach. I've heard Ed Orgeron's name, however unlikely that seems. That's not going to happen. I've heard <laughs> Ed Orgeron's the head coach of this team. I've heard <laughs> Liam, there's no way. I, I, however unlikely, I did say it. <laughs> you, the fair, you did say that. I've heard, I've heard Tony White's name. Francesco, it feels like. Boy, that'd be something. I think based off of reports and speculation above all else, Dan Mullen's name appears to be the front runner. But again, this is all based off speculation. Yeah, ba- based off speculation, certainly. And you know, I don't know how to feel about Dan Mullen, if I'm being 100% honest with you. Cause, I, I wouldn't feel great about it. Because here's the thing, right? He coached Mississippi State. He coached Florida. Coached Florida poorly, I might add. Yeah. And then, you know, not a whole lot of ties to the Northeast, at least where he's been as a head coach. He's, I don't know, there's just something about Dan Mullen that doesn't scream Syracuse, right? There's like, yeah, there's a yeah. certain level of grittiness you need to coach at Syracuse, I think, in the Northeast especially. Yeah. Um, I, to me, getting a guy from the South who's been in the SEC his whole head coaching career doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's kind of fitting a square peg into a round hole. Right, right. Now, Dan Mullen was a former assistant at Syracuse, so it's not like he's got no experience up here, yeah. but... I just from think a head it's coaching perspective, from a head coach. It's very different, right? In Florida, you got the pick of the litter. Up here, you got to make your own litter, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, it's he comes from a very different background. Um, a guy that I've heard too that I think is intriguing is Bob Chesney, who was a Holy Cross head coach. Um, Holy Cross has become a great FCS program. Almost beat BC this year. Correct. In Worcester, Massachusetts, again, not exactly a hub of talent. Holy Cross oh. is in Worcester, right? Well, Holy Cross is in Worcester. There you go. Not exactly, Liam. I know you're from the area. Not exactly a hub of football. No, town. no. Um, which is you know similar to what he'd be dealing with here. Um, I don't think you need to be a Syracuse alum or have Syracuse connections to get the job. But as John Wildhack said, knowing how Northeast football works is probably important. You look at you look at Rutgers and who's been good at Rutgers in the last twenty years. Greg Schiano, right? He's a New Jersey guy through and through. Um, yeah. So somebody who knows this area, I think, would be important. Yeah. I don't know if Dan Mullen's the guy, um, but I guess we'll wait and see. It should be fascinating. I can't wait to see how things unfold. And if they do hire a coach within the next week ahead of the transfer portal opening. Yes. Topic number two. Number two. Syracuse football takes down Wake Forest 35-31 to in what was a beyond crazy game. Francesco, you and I were watching the game feet from each other in the WAER booth. The Orange going bowling for the second straight season. What was your initial reaction? What a heck of a game, right? Yeah. I mean, it was a really probably the most fun football game Syracuse has played all year. I think that's 100%. Right? Yeah. It's not even close. Um, kudos to a couple of different uh, people, a couple of different groups of people, too. One, Nunzio Campanelli. You take over on Sunday. You get the phone call from John Wildhack saying, hey, Dino's out. You're the guy. Try to win us the sixth game. 
you keep the players together. You let Jason Beck and Rocky Long formulate a game plan, and you beat a Wake team that, listen, is not very good, but is very well coached um, and had something to play for, right? If yeah. Wake won that game, they would have been 5-7. and seven. Could have still gone to a bowl game if there weren't enough 6-6 six and six teams. Um, so they didn't mail it in, certainly, and Campanelli had his team ready to play, which is not easy to do after the guy who brought every single person in that room to Syracuse gets fired. Yeah. Um, so, Jumping off of that, I think another group of people that deserves credit are the players who mm-hmm. could have very easily mailed it in. Had they lost that game, they'd be you know, they'd be on vacation now, essentially, right? Yeah. Uh, but now they got to get ready to play another game, and you know they they played hard for the seniors, wanted to get them one more experience, uh, and yeah, they deserve credit too. And then one more, the fan base, because we didn't think Liam, you and I, that a lot of people would show up to that game. And listen, was it full? No, no. no. Were there? I'd argue a lot more people than I thought would be in there. Yeah. I yeah, think so. I think so. Um, which is obviously good to see because a weird game, a lot of reason just be like, you know what? It's a Saturday after Thanksgiving. I'm going to spend this with my family at home instead of going to a football game between two of the worst teams in the conference. But you know what? Give credit to the people around here. They showed up. Over 35,000 people attended yesterday's yeah. game. Francesco, before the game, you and I were talking. We were guesstimating around 25,000. 20, 25,000 yeah. because this was a game where – there was little to no student section, given that everyone's coming back from Thanksgiving break. I thought this would have been a game where you could legitimately have had a bigger crowd for basketball. But yeah. it, it ended up not being the case. So with that, Francesco, like you mentioned it from the jump, this game played out exactly the opposite of how I expected it to play. I expected it to be low-scoring, kind of sluggish. Instead, we got treated to a shootout. Both teams putting up the most points either have scored in ACC play. I think the over-under line was set at like 40-something Easily surpassed, I think maybe not quite by the third quarter, but surpassed fairly easily when mm-hmm. all was said and done. And, Francesco, I, you mentioned it. I want to give my round of applause to the residents of Central New York for coming out because mm-hmm. after LaQuint Dallin, I'll talk about him in a minute, sealed the game on that third down, I got goosebumps mm-hmm. because of the ensuing roar and the let's go orange chant that filled the dome. That might have been – the single most electric moment I've seen inside the Dome covering this SU football team, it it was really, really stinking cool. But a few of the other tidbits from the game, shout out LaQuint Allen getting yeah. over the 100-yard mark, or 1,000-yard mark, yep. I should say. Not easy to do, period. Even harder to do so when you're replacing a, a program legend like Sean Tucker. And playing behind an offensive line that's been pretty bad this year. That, too. I also want to give credit to Garrett Trader. Clearly not mm-hmm. 100%. I called on... I called for SU to cut the charades, per se, and actually run somewhat of a normal offense, and we got that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that comes from Schrader sacrificing his body. I mean, we saw him in the post-game press conference. He seemed like he was on the verge of tears talking about he didn't know how much time he had left playing the game of football. Yeah, no, I I really did feel for Garrett Schrader yesterday, because like you mentioned, when he came into the post-game press conference, it was right after he finished the senior walk, full uniform, pads, tape, helmet, all of it. Um, And he... He didn't. He didn't cry. He was close yeah. though. Yeah. On, on a couple of separate occasions, talking about how much his teammates mean to him, how much Syracuse means to him, how much Dino Babers means to him, and his family as well. Um, no, you're right. He deserves a lot of credit because there's obviously something physically wrong with him. You can see that when he throws the ball, he doesn't. You know, he's never had a great arm, but it, it's still not to the level where it it is at his best. Yeah. Um, so yes, a, a lot of credit goes to Schrader, who was effective as a passer when he was asked to be. And you feel bad for Garrett a little bit, too, because, you know, he was a three-year starter. Yeah. But in none of those three years did he start every game. Yeah. So in 2021, he was dealing with Tommy DeVito. 
That whole scenario played out how it did. Then last year he deals with injuries in the middle of the year. Comes back better towards the end. And then this season, I mean, he's been battered and bruised and this and that. Um, Yeah, so a three-year starter, but never had one single season uninterrupted by either a quarterback battle or an injury. And he could he come back next year if he wanted no, to? No, he's done. He's, he's done. done. He's done. He's done. Cannot cannot come back. Yeah. So that could have you know if they lost that game, the NFL is no guarantee for Garrett yeah. Schrader. Could no. have been the last football game he ever Neither played. Neither is the CFL. No, no, you're right. And with that, we hope for the best for Garrett Schrader's future. But let's shift over to the hardwood for topic number three. Number three. Syracuse goes to Honolulu for the Maui Invitational. Loses they by were in Maui? They, yeah, they were. Or Honolulu? Uh, they were in Honolulu, Really? Yeah. I didn't realize. Okay. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't all over the news or anything like that, but they lose game number one to seventh-ranked Tennessee by 17, lose game number two to number 11 Gonzaga by 19, then beat the living daylights out of Chaminade in yeah. the finale. 49, I think the final score was 105 to 56. That's correct, yep, 49. Francesco, this is honestly exactly what I expected coming in because yeah. I think the scores of both the Tennessee and Gonzaga games are more lopsided than mm-hmm. the eye test would indicate, mm-hmm. but it it wasn't a surprise in any way, shape, or form. I think Gonzaga is the game that Syracuse got. I know you said, Liam, it, it was like a yeah, six, seven-point game with seven, eight minutes to play. Yeah. Um, to me, it felt like more than that. It felt like Gonzaga had controlled the game for the entirety of it, and that's because Syracuse got out rebounded two to one. Yep. Um, and gr- Nahima Cloud, oh boy, no, not good. Yeah, a hundred percent. The Tennessee game to me was encouraging because, you know, it was a game that Syracuse had an eight point lead in in the first half. It was a close game at halftime. It was really a close game until two minutes left when Tennessee finally went on a big run to end the game. Yep. Um, but the fact that you kept it close against a top 10 Tennessee team, a Tennessee team that, you know, I don't think anybody's going to be shocked to see them in the Final Four. I certainly won't be. Um, so, you know, going toe-to-toe with them for what was probably 37, 38 minutes, I think is very encouraging. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And when I look at how the schedule played out, you know, you had three tune-up games for it. Then yeah. this was the big test. And one of the tune-up games you almost lost to Kobe. Yeah, one of the tune-up games you were down by 24 and you still somehow yeah. miraculously emerged victorious. I did not expect them to come out and win these games. Let, no. Let, let's not... Let's they not, had a brutal draw, too. They, they absolutely did get a brutal draw. UCLA got to play Chaminade in round right. two. Kansas got to play Chaminade in game number one. Right. Regardless of what happened with Syracuse, they were going to play two ranked teams right yeah. out of the shoot. They played Tennessee and they played Gonzaga, if Gonzaga had won its first game, you know who they would have gone up against? They would have gotten Zach Eady and the Purdue Boilermakers. Zach Eady, the team that eventually wound up winning the Maui Invitational and the team that I think is going to win the national championship. By the way, Zach Eady is what Syracuse fans wish Naheem McLeod was at 7-4. Absolutely. I mean, Francesco, you you brought up the Gonzaga game. I think Graham Mike, the Bulldogs' big man, far and away the best Syracuse has played in terms of the center position this season. He was a monster. He was unbelievable. Him and Nahim McLeod looked like they were in two completely yeah. different stratospheres. Yeah, 100%. And EK is, is that physical presence, right? McLeod has maybe five, six inches on him in terms of height. But EK's got the strength. And you can be as tall as you want. That's awesome. But you got to be physical down low. I mean, McLeod just doesn't seem to have that right now. And it's a little bit odd because he's still, you know, he, he's 7'4". You think he's this long and lanky guy. He's 270, Liam. I mean, yep. he's not skinny. This is not Peter Carey, right? Yeah. Um, so having McLeod, 
down there. You need him to be more physical than he's been. There's no doubt about that. For context, McLeod, 270. Zion Williamson, nine inches shorter than him, 285. Sure. And, you know, with that, it that I think is the biggest question coming out of the tournament is Syracuse's interior defense, particularly at the center position, because when you get to the ACC play, when you get to see, you know, the Armando Baycotts, mm-hmm. the Kyle Filipowski's, the P.J. Halls of the world. That's a big yeah. man you and I are going to get to know very well. <laughs> I love P.J. Hall. He's the best. He, great great player. Uh, we'll see We'll see if uh, Naheem McLeod can take him. Because at the backcourt with Judah and J.J., you're pretty much set. Defensively, you mean? Uh, even offensively, uh, too. Both offensively yeah, both. and defensively, yeah. I would argue. Forwards, you're kind of a mixed bag, both offensively and it defensively. It kind of depends on the day with those yeah. guys, yeah. But I'm confident-ish. I'm confident-ish. Fair. The center position, because... Malik Brown, too small. Not, we haven't seen a whole lot of Munir Hima or Peter Carey this year. The center position has me worried out the wazoo. Well, Munir Hima tried to enter the game against yeah. Gonzaga, and he wasn't on the roster. So they, so Syracuse got assessed the technical for trying to play a guy who was not, uh, what is it, the score sheet that they give out yeah, before the games? Not, so I, I did this in high school, so I would know, like, before every game, you need to give the official score It's like exchanging the, the lineup cards before a baseball game. Yeah, Same idea, exactly. yeah. So he wasn't on that, and Syracuse got a technical for it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Sure. <laughs> you see a new one every day. Uh, yeah, I I couldn't believe it when I saw it because I, I don't think, think that may have happened to my high school team once, and it was the coach's fault. So. It's like Bobby Valentine. Not Bobby Valentine. Um, Mickey Calloway batting out of order for the Mets. Yeah, that, that was nuts. Uh, but, yeah, that was the past. Let's move on to the future for topic number four. Number four. The inaugural ACC-SEC Challenge just means more. Just means more. See Syracuse go up against LSU, a team it has not faced since 1985. Both squads coming in at 4-2, and two, though the Tigers' losses definitely a little bit more concerning, per you, you se. Mean, you mean Nichols and Dayton, Nich- Nichols and Dayton are the two programs LSU has lost to this year. Syracuse, meanwhile, oh, I don't know, only two national title contenders. Francesco, by the looks of things, this is a game Syracuse should win. Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly one way to put it, Liam. Now, to be fair to LSU, they did beat Wake Forest, which is an ACC team, not necessarily a great one, but an ACC team nonetheless. In overtime, too. Sure. If you look at LSU, I mean, Liam, does Will Baker scare you? I didn't know who Will Baker was until I looked up LSU stats. Jordan Wright? What do you think of Jordan Wright? That name actually kind of sort of sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you why. Point being here is that... There's nobody on this LSU team. There's no Ben Simmons or Shaquille O'Neal walking through that door is the idea. So it's an LSU team that's got two guys who are scoring double figures. That's Will Baker and Jordan Wright. Nobody else crosses the 10-point threshold. They've lost to Nichols this year and Dayton, too. Yeah. Um, by the way, for Dayton, Obi Toppin's not walking through Obi that door. Did, uh, um, it's, not, it's not 2020. This is not that the year that would have been for Dayton being a one seed in 2020. Oh, yeah. That, uh, I think that might have gone to the Final they Four. They could have won the national championship yeah. that year. Who knows? Um but, no, LSU is not certainly one of the better teams in the SEC. You're not playing Kentucky. You're not playing even a Florida type of team. You're playing one of the bottom feeders in the SEC, which if you're a Syracuse team who had to go to Maui or Honolulu last week, play two top ten teams, you got Virginia on the road coming up on Saturday, you got to go to South Dakota to play Oregon in a couple of weeks, you got to go to Georgetown next weekend. It's kind of a brutal non-conference yeah. schedule before the ACC even begins, so... You know, getting a game against a bottom-tier SEC team at home 
is probably a blessing for Syracuse. Yeah, I could argue, Francesco, that the matchup Syracuse drew tonight, or Tuesday, is probably the easiest you're going to see on Tuesday. Georgia Tech goes up against a ranked Mississippi State team. Yep. Notre Dame visits an undefeated South Carolina team. Miami visits Kentucky. Pitt That's take, a good game. Pitt takes on a decent Missouri team. Sure. NC State is on the road to battle an undefeated Ole Miss team. Clemson, shout out Joe Girard, playing Alabama on the road. And P.J. Hall. And P.J. Hall. But, yeah, it's not it's not a particularly difficult game. I think you can make the argument that the Tigers are a bottom feeder SEC team down there with Vanderbilt. I mean, what's happened to that program over the past few years in terms of off-court issues? Yeah. Not, ex- not exactly something you want to attach to your program. No. And it, it really is a good draw for Syracuse. It's a home game. It's the first home game in two weeks, which feels like a lot which feels like yeah. a long time for this yeah. time of year. Yeah. By every measure, it is a game Syracuse should win. Now, here's what I wish, Liam. I wish the women's team was playing LSU in the ACC-SEC Challenge. Could you imagine Wouldn't that be Angel something? Reese and Haley Van Lith with Would, Kim Mulkey uh, walking we, in the we dome? Actually, we actually don't know if Angel well, Reese Well, that's a good point. We'll see if Angel Reese ever comes back to that program. But <laughs> could you imagine that team walking in the dome? That, that would get some buzz. Uh, but on that note, Orange women going up against Alabama. Yeah. Crimson Tide team kind of on the rise over the past sure. few years. They yeah. went 20-plus years without making an NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. But have been to two of the last three. Sure. Off to a solid seven and one start this year. Yeah, so and that's something to look forward to as well on the women's side of things. But wrapping it up on the men's side, Liam, yes, this is a game that if you're Syracuse, you're probably going to be favored in. In fact, I can almost guarantee you're going to be favored in. Um, it's a game you should probably win. Yeah. And then on the women's side, the women look pretty good so far. They right? do. Um, so you got an Alabama team coming in who's. Like you said, on the rise, but not. This is not LSU. No. This is not South Carolina. Nobody like that. So by, by every measure, it's a game Syracuse should probably sure. win because in their own biggest test of the season thus far, they played a now unranked but a still good Maryland team mm-hmm. down to the wire. They've been a mainstay near the top of college basketball yeah. for years, and this was, it was Georgia Woolley's first game back too, sure. so she still wasn't fully acclimated. Sure. So hopefully, from a Syracuse basketball standpoint, you go two and zero in the ACC SEC Challenge this week, and yep. for the men, then you go to Virginia to start ACC play, kind of that standalone early December game before you go back into the yep. non-con. So a big week for Syracuse basketball because you beat LSU, and then you go to Virginia, maybe surprise some people against the Virginia team that. Is not your older brother's Cavalier squad. All those six-year no. seniors, they're not there anymore. No. So, you know, you win a couple of games this week, and then all of a sudden, you're feeling pretty darn good about yourself. You're, you're absolutely feeling pretty good. By the way, LSU Syracuse, Wagner Providence, two marquee games to look out for. Wagner, do we have a line on that LSU Syracuse game yet? Uh, not yet. No? Not yet. Okay. But I'm going to guess Syracuse minus like four and a half. I was going to say three. Sure. Let's head back to the gridiron for topic number five. Number five. So Syracuse football is going bowling. Yep. The only question is... Where are they going? Where are they going, right? Uh, I have a hard time thinking they will be going back to Yankee Stadium for the a third, third time, the third time within a 12-month span for another rendition of the Bad Boy Mowers Prince Stripe Bowl where they it, lost to Minnesota 28 Is Bad Boy Mowers back? I believe, I believe oh, so. Terrific. I believe so. Uh, Syracuse doesn't have a great history, or recent history, in Bad Boy Mowers-sponsored events, by the way. The Battle for Atlantis. Or the Battle yes, for Atlantis two yes, years yes, ago. Yes, but... Yes, yes. I think the two biggest ones that have, or let's do three, the three biggest ones that have seemingly caught my eyes based off of likelihood and various rumblings, the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa, sure, the Birmingham Bowl in Birmingham, Alabama on yep. December 23rd, two days Beautiful. before Christmas. Beautiful town, I've heard. And then my personal preference, the Fenway Bowl on December 28th. Uh, do, you yeah. have, do you have any sort of preference? 
That's a good question. Fenway would be cool, I guess. Um, but you're a Yankees fan, so. That is a good point. I am wearing the hat, too, right now. This is true, um, he is. Yeah, Fenway would be cool. Going to a game at Fenway for football. I've never been to a game at Fenway. I've been to Fenway. You've never been to a game at Fenway? Never been to a game at Fenway, no. I should I should have uh, gotten you off the couch this past summer. You know what? You should, well, I wasn't on the couch, Liam. Good I, I know you were busy, <laughs> but when you had an off day, I should have gotten you know you what? out. Maybe, well, I was going to say, maybe if they go to the Fenway Bowl, we'll go to a game. We'll have to wait until oh, next summer for that. Yeah, we'll have to wait until next um, summer. Yeah, Fenway would, would certainly be cool. The Birmingham Bowl... There would be about 15 people at, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the night before Christmas Eve, right? And how many Syracuse alums live in Alabama? Probably uh, not very many. Probably not very many. I think the Gasparilla Bowl, it being in Tampa and it being one day earlier to give a little bit more. It's on the 22nd. I believe it's on the 22nd. Yeah. So having that one extra day before Christmas, and then I would assume there's more Syracuse fans and alums in Florida than than there are in Alabama. That would be my guess. Um, so I think that would probably be choice number two. So I would go Fenway, Gasparilla, having a game in an NFL stadium would be interesting, right? That'd be certainly at least an experience of some kind. Yep. Um, and then Birmingham would probably be third. So I think with that in mind, another thing I want to look at here, Francesco, is the opponent Syracuse could potentially sure. play. I think I really think for if they went to the Fenway Bowl, they would play against an American school. Correct. So you're probably going to get a Rice who finished six and six. Boy. Wouldn't that be something? Syracuse and Syracuse Rice. Syracuse and Rice in the Fenway Bowl. Because Rice, my father used to work at Rice. Did he really? Yeah, and we we live back in New England now, but it it'd be an easy drive up, and I can confidently say he would wear orange colors if he attended the game. But uh, if you go to the Birmingham Bowl, I have n- or Gasparilla for that matter, I have zero clue who you would go up against. You could play you, Liam. I'm not kidding when I say this. You could play literally. Anybody on the planet yeah. in one of those two bowl games? I, right I, I, I saw uh, someone who works in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, tweeted today, Syracuse and Coastal reportedly projected by some various outlet to play in the Birmingham Bowl. Coastal Carolina. Coastal the Carolina. The Chanticleers. You know what? Why the heck not, right? <laughs> I mean, if you look at the American, SMU is second in the American. Wouldn't could, that be something? Could you get a preview Wouldn't of the that ACC? Be huh? Uh Potentially, boy, Coastal Carolina. Did they got still? Did they get Grayson McCall still? Is he still there? I, you know, I I gotta look this up. Hang on, did he transfer? I don't know. Either way, either way, regardless of where Syracuse plays, he's still there. He's still there. It's gonna be very interesting to see location, who it's going up against. If they're playing at the Wasabi Fenway Bowl, we will have coverage in some capacity. Grayson McCall hasn't uh, hasn't played for Coastal Carolina since October twenty first. Oh, there you go. If it's the Fenway Bowl, we'll have in-person coverage in some capacity. In some yep. capacity. Yep. If it's the Birmingham or Gasparilla. Birmingham or Gasparilla Bowl, probably not, considering the entirety of the Fizz staff lives in the Northeast. Uh, Where is? We've got two Central New Yorkers, a Connecticut kid, a Rhode Island kid, and a DC kid. Uh, Adams from DC. That's right. Yeah, yes. you're right. So yeah, most the. Uh, we're all in the Northeast. We're yeah. all in the Northeast. Yeah. So we're pulling for Fenway Bolt so we can bring you more content. I'll be there one way or the other. You will be there one so way. So I'll be there. You know what? So whatever type, of, I promise I'll do something fist related. How about that? That's I'll make fair. that promise right now. That's fair. Uh, can, I, can, I, can we pinky we'll promise pinky, that? We'll, we'll pinky promise on that one. Yep. All right. Syracuse going bowling. We'll find out where later this week. This has been Fizz 5 with Francesco Simone. I'm Liam Griffin. Stay tuned to our social media at Orange Fizz and keep up with all of our content at theorangefizz.com. Thanks for hanging out with us, and as always, go Orange.
And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.